gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of The Right Fit. I'm your host, Daryl Jacobs. Join me every Friday noon Eastern time with decision makers, both in collegiate athletics and professional sports. But joining me today, I have a great guest, the CEO of USA Fencing. Please welcome to the show, Phil Andrews. You kind of like that greeting, don't you, Phil? No, it was pretty funny. That was good. <laughs> I love the effects. Well, thank you for taking the time out to join me today and your busy schedule as well. Um, but before we get started with the Q&A, briefly talk about your journey into national and international sports. It, it's been a long one. So I'm I'm not a fencer by trade. And, and uh, you and I know each other from, from some of my time at USA Weightlifting. Um, and I wasn't a weightlifter either. So, uh, I played rugby uh, and then uh, ice hockey, which is probably less expected for a British guy. And, um, I shot for Great Britain as well, uh, all at the youth levels. Um, so really, you know, I, I came, uh, back to Olympic sport. I worked in pro hockey at the start of my career, uh, in European pro hockey. Um, and in some of the NGB uh, and, and very small NGBs over there and national governing bodies in, in, in the UK, I, I came back to Olympic sport um, via the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. So basically what I did there was I hosted um, the Team USA operation in London. So the High Performance Training Center, um, the media operation, the food and beverage operation, the, uh, as we call it in England, kitting out operation, outfitting here, where you get your stuff. <laughs> yeah, 99 pieces of, of Nike and Ralph Lauren outfitting as an Olympian or Paralympian. Um, so, and that was a really great, um, uh, experience. And I came over to the United States after that and, um, spent a little bit of time with other national governing bodies before settling in weightlifting. Spent just about 10 years there and uh, then came over to USA Fencing. I uh, started in August of this year, so I'm a grizzled veteran with about three months of service. Well, let's talk about the sport of fencing and talk about your role as CEO of USA Fencing. So, you know, I, I, as I understand it, a lot of the listeners are probably from the collegiate athletic space. Uh, and the closest role is probably AD, where you're dealing with just a, a very, very wide variety of issues and um, different aspects of the business, different aspects of the sport every day. So, you know, just take today, for example, I was on a disciplinary call um, for to do with um, abuse in sport. Uh, up until I joined this call. Um, before that, I was talking about our international event in Washington, D.C., our, our Paralympic World Cup, first time it's been hosted in the United States um, in just about 20 years, 19, not 
quite, but uh, we should have gone for the round number, really, I guess. Um, before that, I was on a call uh, talking about branding for our national events and signage and what the customer experience is like. Before that, I'm working on a KPI project. Um, so that's just this morning. Um, they, before that, I was working on onboarding and seating committees. So it, it's that's just one day. And, and no two days are the same in, in being the CEO of a national governing body, whether it be fencing or weightlifting or any other. Um you know, in fencing, we have Olympics and we have Paralympics, so able-bodied and and, and uh, disability sports. Um, we also have three weapons. Three weapons are contested in the Paris. Three weapons are contested in the able-bodied side of the sport. So that means you've basically got six weapons, male and female. So that's now... Um, now, now is, I don't mean to get... Is that the same in collegiate athletics in the sport of fencing and collegiate that's athletics? Right. That's right. So the NCAA has fencing. We have uh, 43 schools in the NCAA that have fencing. We're hoping to add a 44th very shortly here. I was out at that particular college meeting with their athletic director uh, last week, week before, week before last. Uh, and I think they're uh, going to add fencing, men's and women's fencing. Um, and I can go a little bit more into our expansion of focus on on college sports in a second. But yes, we they in fencing we can test the saber the epee and the foil. So the saber is the slashing weapon. It comes from when we used to have war and you'd be on the horse. The horse is a valuable asset, right? So you want to kill the human, but you want to save the horse. You can use the horse. Um, so I, epee, I didn't know that. I, I, I didn't know that. Here's your history lesson for the day, man. It's um, And then you have the epee. Epee is the more traditional sport weapon. It was designed for sport. You can hit essentially anywhere on the body. Foil was your practice weapon for war, so you're you're looking at uh, piercing the armor. So it's uh, it's at the torso. Um, so those are the three weapons we have in fencing, and typically an able-bodied fencer will concentrate primarily on one weapon. Let's talk about transitioning. You were the CEO, of course, of USA Weightlifting, um, and then you transitioned into the CEO of fencing. How, what was that transition like? It's, you know, again, it, it's it's challenging when you change jobs in sport, right? You've, you've got to change what you're thinking about every day. So you're not thinking about the snatch and the clean and jerk. You're talking about the saber, the foil, and the epee. The, the, the business side is relatively similar. You know, we have events. We have coaching educational, rather, we're building it. Um, we have the international side. That's a little different, but relatively the same. You have the sponsorship side, the membership side, and so forth. It's the foundation and, and donation side. Uh, you you have many of those issues that are really the same across the the side. You know, the people management side is the same, whether you're in uh, USA fencing or USA weightlifting. So there was a lot of familiarity to that, but there's a lot of difference too. We're a bigger organization than weightlifting is. We're a bigger organization from a number of human beings, both membership, but also in um, in our office. We're a, a bigger employment NGB than, than weightlifting was. Doesn't mean weight, you know that, that, that there's a lot of positives about weightlifting. There's a lot of times when I've gone, well, we actually did this in weightlifting. It was really effective in, in, in certain areas, um, and there's many things to be proud of about what we did in weightlifting. And again, funny enough, some of the things that we implemented in weightlifting came from fencing. Uh, for example. In weightlifting, we had um, a series called the North American Open Series. 
In fencing, there's a series called the North American Cup. If they sound familiar, it's because they, they're they're based on the same concept uh, of bringing together a festival of sorts. And fencing were the first ones to do that. Um, and, and we built on that idea some in weightlifting for the North American Open Series. So there's links there for sure. Uh, it, it's The transitions are very, very interesting uh, between the two. There's things that fencing can learn from weightlifting. A few things that fencing, uh, probably weightlifting, might be able to learn from fencing. But it's, you know, I got to imagine it's the same way about moving between different pro sports and maybe moving different colleges. That you've, you've got to learn some of the sporting side, but the business is really the same. Culture is obviously a big issue, too. You mentioned about the NCAA. Do you guys work with the NCAA in terms of helping them create policies for collegiate fencing? Talk a little bit about how does that, um, how do you guys work with the NCAA? So historically, uh, NGBs have taken various different approaches to collegiate sports. Um, fencing is one of those that has been quite hands-off with uh, college sport, and, and, and that's the direction we're changing. Um, as, as a lot of people know, or some may know listening to this, that fencing is, is classed as an at-risk sport in the NCAA, um, and, and that's a problem. We need to put some resources behind um behind the NCAA programs, both shoring up what we have and uh, as well building that too with, with new colleges. And I think there's, there's a couple of ways to look at that, either looking at the Northeast where we're really strong, fencing's really strong, you know, New York State, Massachusetts, uh, Rhode Island, these types of areas. Or do you support the West where we have very few college programs, you see San Diego, Stanford, Air Force, University of the Incarnate Word, and try and support those guys by bringing in more Western colleges. But the reality is you've got to do a bit of both. Um, I think the college that's about to likely to add fencing is based in the Northeast. It does make it cheaper for an AD and for a president to make that decision. Um, so you know, we've, we've really started to look at how can we develop a closer relationships with the commissioners and the athletic directors involved as well as obviously the coaches are, we just added Ivan Lee, uh, an Olympian um, from New York, who's now the head coach of Long Island University to, uh, to be a vice president of our board. Uh, and then Ben Bratton, uh, just uh, who's also already on our board as a, by coincidence, I guess. Um, he's just uh, got the head coach job at New York University, NYU, which is uh, voted this week by USFCA as the number one um D3 University, both for men's and women's foil. So congratulations to Ben and his team, which means we've got a bit of a focus on it at the board level too, which is great. Um, so we're, we're working out, okay, how we're putting together a group called Fighting for Fencing is our sort of working title with, with coaches, athletes, commissioners, um, and, and athletic directors to really look at how do we, how do we best serve our NCAA constituents how do we help them recruit? How do we help colleges recruit great coaches into, into collegiate fencing? Um, how do we help recruit abroad too is part of that. We have a responsibility to those NCAA colleges. Uh, and how do we best be partners with, with the NCAA colleges? And then, you know, finally, how do we make it easy for an athletic director or a president to say, this is a great use of, of, of my varsity slots I have? Um, to to invest in the sport of fencing. He, that, that this is this is a sport I should be looking at. And similarly, 
those who already have fencing, how when they're looking at, okay, I've got a cut somewhere, how do we make sure that our sword is stronger than their knife? Why do you think you were the right fit for this position? I think there's a lot of challenges culturally that we have at USA Fencing that we need to own. Um, and a lot of those culture come down to the way we treat each other uh, and the way we treat um, issues in fencing. Um, I think that's probably the number one reason why I was a good fit. I've solved, not solved, that's unfair. I've worked on some of those issues in, in, in the sport of weightlifting and arguably become known for that. Uh, and I think that that drive towards a, a better culture um, and towards rebuilding trust between athletes and the, the organization and the cold community at large is a lot of the reasons why I was A, chosen, and B, perhaps I was the right fit. And then indeed, those were the same things that appealed to me of, okay, I can see the, where the problems are here. Um, and I can see the progress that's been made. I can see a willingness in the community to want to do a better job and I can see how I can offer some of my expertise towards it. And by the way, let me be clear, I'm not perfect. Um, no person is, right? But I, I, I can see how some of the challenges that they've had over the last few years in fencing um, are areas I can help with. And that's all you really need to be, you know, when you're looking at being, leading an organization and when you lead a, a sporting organization, what you really do is you lead a community. Um, yeah, and it's an honor to do so, and, and, and it is a very much an honor to have both led weightlifting and now to lead the sport of fencing in the United States. Uh, ultimately, th there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, and it's, it is about leading a culture. Phil, we're going to take a commercial break. You're listening and watching The Right Fit. The Right Fit podcast is brought to you by Rising Coaches Search and Consulting. Tired of spending what seems like all of your time and budget filling coaching vacancies? Let Rising Coaches Search and Consulting handle your next coaching search. Our process is simple. We identify, vet, and recruit a talented and diverse group of professionals that fits your institution's profile. All for a low price that we guarantee will beat our competitions. Plus, all of your searches will be handled by former coaches, meaning we will get the best possible insight on all of your candidates, and you'll get the perspective that only a former coach could provide. For testimonials, a full client list, or more information, please visit risingcoaches.com. Welcome back to The Right Fit. I'm your host, Daryl Jacobs. I'm with my guest today, Phil Andrew, CEO of USA Fencing, and we're talking about all things Right Fit. Let's get through the interview processes, Phil. You've been a part of probably many interview processes. Let's talk about the do's and don'ts. Give me two of each. Do you mean as an interviewee or an interviewer? Interviewer. Okay. Um, I would say always make it a two-way conversation. Remember that you are equally evaluating the person as they are evaluating you as an organization. And if you're not allowing them to do the latter, you're probably not an organization I, for one, would want to join. Um, so that would be point number one. Point number two is, as an interviewer, I think you, you always 
look for cultural and human fit first. You know, I think that for me is what the right fit's all about. Um, you know, you can teach somebody, let's take my, my own process. You can teach somebody fencing. You can teach somebody what a saber is and a foil and an epee, right? But you can't teach them to be a good human being. And I've always hired people on that basis of, you know, I'll, I'll take the good human who we can hone over the, 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 a technical expert who, who frankly might be disruptive and, and in the in the process of growing your organization. So th- th- those would be a couple of do's and, uh, d- for me of um, don't, I, I think, always come to the same thing. I think don't be overstructured in, in interviewing. Um, have a conversation. You won't be structured in the way you have meetings, yet you have an agenda, but you're not going to have – you don't construct a meeting or the way you progress, or you know, if talking about coaches, nobody's going to structure um, um, a practice in the same way you have five interview questions you ask every every person. Uh, you don't treat every player on your team in the, that same way. So why do that when you're interviewed? It doesn't make sense. Um, I think the second piece is uh, don't don't make assumptions. I think is the one that's coming to mind. You know, you may don't re- judge a book by its cover and don't make assumptions about what you think you might know about that person or not know about that person. We want to talk about what makes the person the right fit for USA fencing. So do you mean as in me or as in people the right fit. In- who right. wants to be, if they someone want to be come to USA fencing, they probably watching this podcast you say, you know what? I have an interest in potentially working at USA fencing. What would make them the right fit? You know, for, for right now, um, I think someone who enjoys, um, a revolving organization, I suppose is what I would say that we've got, uh, the piece of issues at fencing over the last few years, which to cut a long story short, we have about 80% of our team under one year of service. That has some really good things about it, which means you can make an impact right away and you can choose how the organization moves forward in a lot of ways. The downside is we've got more squirrels at a, a rave right now than we do uh, ducks in a row. In other words, a lot of our process and institutional knowledge just isn't there. Uh, and that can be frustrating at times too. So in other words, what makes on the right fit is somebody who can deal with that and understands that you know they're going to have to make some of their own processes. They're going to have to make some of their own roads, a self-starter, if you will. Um, uh, but someone who can work collaboratively with others because you're never going to get through that unless you can figure out how to work together as a team. Uh, and that's something I'm a big fan of as it is, is, is that cross-collaboration. It doesn't matter whether you're in the membership team, the events team, the international sport team, uh, the compliance area, you've got to work across everywhere. It's, it's your job as well as everybody else's job. It's not, it's not, this isn't in my job description. That isn't somebody that I want to work with. But at the same time, you've got to treat your other people like humans. Right? One of the biggest things that, that we've had is putting humans at the center of what we do, not overworking them, you, using each other to, you know, where you've got capacity to offer that up to, to colleagues to free them up a little bit making sure that people aren't burning out. So what makes someone the right fit? Again, it comes down to culture. It comes down to the person. Um, I think there's a little bit for us as well where um, we don't have all but one of us are not fen- previous fences. So getting some more sport knowledge into the office might be necessary. I like a balance of that. 
um, our office doesn't yet look like the community we serve. Um, and I think that's an issue that we need to address. Um, that's nothing against the individuals inside the office right now. Let me be very clear about that. I have a great team, but there are, uh, as we look ahead towards those opportunities, uh, and that's a general issue, honestly, in, in sport management, that there isn't enough diversity in sport management, period, right now. Um, and, and part of that is people not coming into sport management. People like part of that is not being given the open, opening door opportunities at the, at the base level. Um, and so when you're looking to recruit into those roles, there's nobody there to recruit, even though you might have the desire to do so. Um, so th- those are a couple of big things I'd probably flag right now. But it, like I say, for us, it comes down to the ability to work well together with others in a collaborative environment. Let's talk about potential job opportunities that you may see on a rising in international sports. Are there any particular ones you see trending or down the road? I mean, look, we've obviously in this country got a couple of big opportunities coming up, right? One is the Los Angeles 2028 uh, Olympic and Paralympic Games, which is already staffing up. Um, you know, they'll, they'll receive the flag in just about two years time. Uh, in fact, they have already had the flag for a couple of months. Um, which means you'll see even more ramping up. Uh, that'll be thousands and thousands of people working for the Los Angeles games. Um, they have got opportunities opening up all the time right now. As a result, you're also seeing more world championships, international events placed in the United States, um, which require organizing committees. Uh, you've also got the World Cup coming here, FIFA World Cup, Canada, US, Mexico. Uh, you've got the Cricket World Cup coming here. Uh, you've got the World Lacrosse World Championships coming here. I'm just ones that I can think of off the top of my head, all of which require staffing up, which require uh, leadership, but also operational roles. Um, you're seeing more and more um, international federations look at the U.S. for some of their headquarters or at least regional offices. Uh, you're seeing a bid for the Salt Lake Games, potentially 30 or 34 for the Winter Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um you're also seeing some interest in Americans being able to work in Europe in some of the international federations. Um, some of the newer sports are based in the United States. Surfing is the obvious example, uh, where the international federation is actually based out of here. World lacrosse is based out of, of Colorado, for example. Uh, world surfing is based out of, of California. So there's more and more opportunities, I think, coming to Americans uh, and to a degree American and Canadians who are willing and interested in working in international sport. Um, I, I sometimes call them the nomaders. There's, there are people who will get involved through um, the Los Angeles games or the Salt Lake potential games who will spend a career literally going from country to country every four years uh, and working in the Olympic movement. It's a, it's a fun way to live life. Um, and some people still since the Atlanta 1996 Olympic and Paralympic Games are still doing that. And it launches their careers into national sport too. Uh, some of the people involved in 96 are now leading people, places like the Commonwealth Games, the International Paralympic Committee, um, and to some extent the IOC. Um, and you see them still showing up in, in Los Angeles and, and what have you. Obviously, those people are now substantially older in their careers. But that will be the legacy or one of the legacies as far as sport management careers are concerned of the LA 28 games. Be interesting to see, though, how that perhaps knocks on to um, interest from around the world in the NCAA. 
Let's talk about differentiators when interviewing. Most times I get this questions and and it'd be very interesting to hear from you because you've been both national and international. Talking about some differentiators, I mean, in terms of interviewing, how can a candidate separate themselves from the competition when interviewing? You know, I think it depends on the role, obviously. Uh, I think, you know, having... A lot of people in sport make the mistake, well, I'm interviewing for a job in basketball and I really like basketball and that's going to be an advantage. I think people generally go into two schools of thought about that. They either really want somebody from the sport or they really don't. But I think in all cases, it not don't focus on your knowledge of the sport and focus on your knowledge of what's required for that particular role. Um, I think that people who stand out to me Obviously, a resume gets you through the through the door, right? You've got to find a way to shortlist people. Um, so getting down to the four, five, six, seven people, however many it is that, that you want to talk to. Once you've got to that, it's about attitude. It's about ideas. It's about collaboration. It's about the examples of what you've done um, and, and knowing the organization you're walking into uh, to a, the degree that you can. You know, the When I'm preparing for a senior interview, um, I'm reaching out to stakeholders in that organization to get some perspective uh, because stakeholders in that organization understand more about, um, you know, X state university or they're going to understand more about USA, X sport and so forth that you might be able to not see just from looking at the website, press releases, board minutes or whatever it is or your perception of that organization. So, It always stands out to me when someone's done that sort of research and comes to the table with uh, what they want to do with that position or with that organization, Um, you know, as opposed to just what you think you might want them to do. In fact, to be honest, there's been times I've gleaned from unsuccessful candidates ideas, which I thought were really great and kept in touch with that individual because I just had someone better or someone was a better fit right then. But they're, you know, that second, third, fourth person sometimes we'll actually be reaching out to them about another role because they've been that impressive. Other times you've got to go out and get second round of candidates too. But I think for me, those people who stand out best are the people who come with solutions for the problems that are before them. It's a very good thought. You know, if you're listening and watching, differentiator comes with solutions. If you come with solutions, you can definitely separate yourself from the competition. My last question, which I think is the last and best question of my show. It's called word association. I say a person, place, a thing, feel, you say the first thing come to mind and you can expand on it if you ch- decide to do so. United Kingdom. Home. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to expand on that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I do it. So the guests and listeners and viewers can get to know you as well. Um, United States. Also home. Believe it or not. I mean, this is my adopted home. My wife's American. Uh, you know, I'm sitting right here in Denver, Colorado. It's the country. I, I'm an American citizen now. It's, uh, it's a country I love and represent. It's also home. Olympics. Well, yeah, I've got to answer not home to something. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, I say values. Um, you know, the, the Olympics the, – for anyone who's who's Googled my name and come up with the McLaren Weightlifting Inquiry will will understand that 
sometimes the Olympics values are not followed by everybody in the Olympic movement, but the Olympics and the Paralympics for me stand for a set of values, which uh, are a, very few global brands ever do. Yeah, and and that's so that's values is what I'd, I'd answer that. And finally, family, Phil. Uh, you know, family is the most important thing. I, I learned that along the way that sometimes you put sport or you put your job in front of your family. Any organization that asks you to do that or any time that you feel that you have to do that, ask yourself if you're really placing what you hold truly valuable first. Mr. Phil Andrews, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. I want to thank the viewers and listeners as well for tuning in. Join me next Friday with another great guest here on The Right Fit. Until then, please stay healthy, stay safe, and have a terrific weekend. The Right Fit Podcast is brought to you by Rising Coaches Search and Consulting. Tired of spending what seems like all of your time and budget filling coaching vacancies? Let Rising Coaches Search and Consulting handle your next coaching search. Our process is simple. We identify, vet, and recruit a talented and diverse group of professionals that fits your institution's profile. All for a low price that we guarantee will beat our competitions. Plus, all of your searches will be handled by former coaches, meaning we will get the best possible insight on all of your candidates, and you'll get the perspective that only a former coach could provide. For testimonials, a full client list, or more information, please visit risingcoaches.com.